0: Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington D.C. and you're listening to Meet Athlete Radio.
1: Dog, so, okay, I think uh, today's November fourth, and uh, I think it was last episode we recorded. I was talking that I said that I was staring across the street at like six different tombstones in the yard, the neighbor's yard, <laughs> skeletons <laughs> sticking up out of the ground, different limbs and ghosts and things like that uh, <laughs> and I, I did later confirm that uh that halloween decorations are much bigger i saw some sort of stat that like home depot this year had 825 skus instead of 431 or something like that like Ooh, wow. pretty much doubled the number of halloween decorations and i wondered if that just meant a bunch of new cheap stuff had come out and you know insignificant difference uh but then I realized, like, this year I've seen – it's the first year I've ever seen the, the giant 25-foot skeletons and witches and all this stuff. So I don't think it's just cheap stuff. I think, I think it is uh, – you know, a lot of it is probably the big expensive thing. So I think, I think Halloween decoration has, has turned a corner and it has become a thing this year.
0: I think you're right about that. Uh, I, I think I saw it a little bit less than you did. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, like, the big skeletons and all that kind of thing. But uh, there definitely there seems to be this appetite for decorating in general and kind of sprucing up your house, if, yeah. you, if you want to call it that. Uh, and I don't know. Is that is that, um, is that people just being festive and fun? Is it people trying to draw attention to themselves? You know, what is it? I mean, they're I trying to an, get, like, clickbait. Like,
1: I think it's an escape. People are, are – ah. the world is taking the turn for the worst. Yeah. so we're going to
0: buy a bunch of junk that I think (laughs) think that's how we, how
1: we do it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, That's my hunch. I don't know. It it could possibly be what you said, the clickbait, the attention sort of thing that people Mm -hmm. want attention. And, but honestly, in my neighborhood, everyone does it. The way to to get attention would be to not do any decorating at all. (laughs) Essentially, what we did. Uh, because if you, if you put up, you know, a a large amount of decorations, you're just going to fit in like everybody else.
2: So
1: I, I don't know. But anyway, uh, I am now uh, now no longer looking at tombstones. There's still one skeleton that greets you at the at the driveway, and there's a an orange goblin sort of character on the porch, okay. which is, appears to be new. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> uh, but there's also the post Christmas... holiday uh, sale of there's all a, the decorations. Yeah. There's a Christmas wreath as well on the <clears> door, <throat> Whoa. so it is shared space now. At least I think it's a Christmas wreath. Uh, it would be hilarious if they listened to this show and they just started realizing I was talking <laughs> about their stuff. I'm sure they don't, <laughs> but anyway, uh, that I, I heard on a different radio show actually that uh, that there were people who were trick or treating, and they were opening doors and they were seeing inside the doors, and people were doing this purposefully—a fully decorated Christmas tree—and oh that was gosh. like part of their their Halloween bit, I guess, was to, you know, you open the door and you see it's Christmas inside uh when you when you go trick-or-treating wait,
0: wait, and that was their holiday bit or or Halloween bit
1: I think it was like their thing like they would open the door and that would be mm. the surprise for the trick-or-treaters would be that it was Christmassy inside <laughs> or maybe it's a way of making a statement I don't I don't know no idea or maybe people just think it's cool uh and I saw something on Instagram some girl had her tree up uh and she she was like you know how people put audio tracks behind them and then they mouth the words it was yeah. the it was the corn that corn interview kid uh-huh uh, which went viral know, a month ago. I was told yesterday by my son it is no longer viral, so I have to stop talking about it, but <laughs> yeah. I'm, just, I'm behind. <laughs> but it was her saying, I can't imagine a more beautiful thing, whatever he uh-huh. said about the coin. Okay. She was yeah. saying that about the Christmas tree. Uh, so, yeah, it appears that the, that the Christmas decorating thing, Christmas creep wow. has has passed Thanksgiving and now has even, even passed, barely, Halloween. Uh, wow. So there appears no limit to when we can begin celebrating Christmas. You know, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and say that's unacceptable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: I'm going to go ahead and say that I do not support this trend. I think that, uh, you know, if it, I, I really, I kind of like the, I've never been one to go out and buy the Christmas tree or the day after Thanksgiving. My family was always like a two or three weeker before Christmas. Right. Um, but I, I I understand that. I think that, that it's a nice tradition, the kind of shifting from, thanksgiving to christmas and you're oftentimes with a bunch of your family and it's family time and yada yeah i think that that's great but uh anything before thanksgiving i'm not a fan of certainly before uh halloween i mean we're still 20 days away from thanksgiving and uh i just i don't i don't i don't like it, it makes right. me uneasy
1: yeah i i it, it kind of does in a way it's sort of i i understand it actually because i think fall like gets its time in between september and october so <laughs> the leaves change people get the cider they go get their pumpkin they do all that and then once that's done the fall activities are done like there's no thanksgiving activities really i know there's thanksgiving parades and turkey trots on thanksgiving but there's not really anything yeah,
0: you, you know about football, it
1: all you got i mean we yeah. still have leaves there's, coming down I know, yeah i know and that and that is nice but i i don't know i don't hate it as much as you i i, I like christmas season so much that i kind of welcome it but I do mm. think if it, if if every year it was this early and it kept getting earlier, I do think eventually it, it the joy wears off. It just gets diluted. You know, it's not. Yeah. You yeah. don't want it all year long. Anyway, that's that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, personal update from me. I've been I've been trying to focus on health recently. I've have been a really bad sleeper for a long time, and I'm just trying. You I, have? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never heard you talk about that. <laughs> uh, and I've I've wondered if alcohol is related, and we we talked a fair bit about non-alcoholic beers and things on here more on the plant-based morning show by the way we talk about them quite a bit there and if you don't listen to that little plug go google or whatever podcast search that uh and find it because wherever you listen to this podcast you can listen to that podcast and uh and it's it's, daily it's every single day and it's it's like the intros of this show it's it's you know goofy stuff it's about vegan things in general but you know loosely we talk about a lot of topics anyway we've been talking there for example about non-alcoholic beers uh and they're parallel to vegan meats, actually, how it's easy to criticize them and say, well, they're not exactly the same, you know, just like you can do with Beyond Burgers versus regular burgers. But the question is, are they still good? And I, I tend to think they're, they are. They're getting better. Anyway, um, so I've been I've been several days in a row now, just non-alcoholic beer. I have started uh, started working out with my son. And mm. that's the only—I mean, big picture, I feel like I'm, I'm just in one of these—you know, now, now, now and then you get in these moods where things are— seem to be clicking and firing and you're motivated about health and i'm feeling that way which is odd timing of the year usually i don't feel that way till like christmas is done and it's new years and you get excited about that stuff um so that's all good but the workout is what i wanted to talk about i have mentioned on here at some point last year that i had read six or seven books from this guy pavel tatsulin who is the uh yeah the kettlebell Kettlebell guy guy. yeah Mm -hmm. and i i found this a very like i never would have expected to like enjoy reading fitness books especially about just like strength training uh it doesn't sound like a topic that would be interesting but for some reason i found myself enjoying it it's a lot of different ideas about fitness than than the the typical the, the bro science and any of that and somehow it's just engaging and you feel good about yourself when you when you read it um so he there's another guy named Dan John another strength coach and they you know Dan John has his own series of books and things and his own philosophies but they partnered on this thing and I've been reading this book, really, to get my son to help him start strength training because he's a big-time soccer player, and he's at an age yeah. where like you can you can you need to begin uh, strength training. And so I wanted to help, kind of, be his coach for that, and I did. But in the process, discovered this program that doesn't just work great for like the same reason it works great for kids. To me, is the same reason it works great for someone like me who wants to get back into strength training, but. I feel like every time I do, it's like a, a tremendous amount of effort and it works for a while, but then it's just too much effort and you stop. So, uh, sorry for that noise. I'm, someone keeps opening a door in my house and it uh, vibrates my office door. That's anyway, right. um, so so the program is it's a super simple thing. And I'm just gonna share it here because you can always look it up. Look up Dan John 40 day workout or Dan John Pavel 40 day workout. Uh, it's this thing that apparently that Pavel designed for Dan John. It, in its simplest, purest sense, it is, you pick five exercises, one one hinge, one squat, one push, one pull, and one ab exercise. And there are, you know, there's different varieties people are now doing. Um, and you do two sets of five reps of one exercise in each of those categories. So your whole workout is 10 sets long, 50 reps mm-hmm. long. But the key is you're doing a weight, you pick a weight that is between 40 and 80% of what you could do one time. Oh, so, okay. So to get it five times is really not very hard at all. Like if you pick 50% of your one rep max, to do five of them is no problem. And you shouldn't ever be approaching failure in any set here. The point is to get better form on each rep of the set, so that you're never really approaching failure. But the 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 part about this that is that is I guess uh, I don't want to say controversial, but but new, is that their claim is that you and, and Dan John's claim, who like I said, big time strength guy, he said he got. He added a bunch of weight to his one rep max through just like 25 of these workouts. So it's supposed to be 40 days. You do it for eight weeks, five days a week. Um, He said after four or five weeks, he he had increased his deadlift one rep max by 30 or 60 pounds, just focusing on weight that is in this 40 to 80% range.
0: So the whole— Then do you increase it after you—
1: you, you do gradually eyes. increase it, but there's no structure to that. I mean, okay. they've, they've made structured varieties now where that you can follow these things. But the, the original pure form of it is you really just do what you're feeling like that day. And so, mm-hmm. like, it's never going to burn you out. It never should. That's not the point. It's really meant for athletes who, like, need to go train later in the day and you don't want to be just gassed or trashed from your workout. Uh, mm-hmm. You want to be able to do this every single day because there's no recovery day in between except for the weekends. Uh, and so, like, it's just really interesting to, like, you know, feel, leave the workout feeling refreshed and good and feel like you did some stuff. Cause I've, I'm a week into this thing. Now I feel like I've done a lot of stuff and my weights are increasing just because I'm kind of choosing to increase them. Uh, because some days I'm feeling good. And there are days when I just do them lower because I don't, don't feel like I have it that day. Cause I'm, feel like I'm still recovering from yesterday or whatever. Uh, but their whole thing is that if you basically like by moving up the, the number that you can do for five reps without difficulty. Like you get stronger and stronger and you use a higher and higher weight for that. They claim that at the upper end, then you're also increasing your one rep max without ever without ever touching it.
3: Hmm. So
1: just very different way of working out. Like I said, doesn't leave you trash or anything like that. Uh, and it it's contributing a lot to my energy. I just feel like I do it and then I just feel great for the whole day. So I would highly recommend you check it out if you're in any kind of workout funk like I've been in. Uh, just, just a cool program.
0: I love it. I mean, it kind of, it kind of, Connects a little bit to what we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast, which is kind of integrating some gentle movement and exercises and things like that into your day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doing, you see a pull up bar, do a couple pull ups or, yep. you know, do some push ups or whatever. Uh, you're not, not a huge workout, not getting totally trashed. It sounds kind of like that, just a little bit more structured and, and a kind of all at once, I guess.
1: Yeah, it is exactly that. I mean, it's, I think that's, that's appropriate analogy right to like when you stop by a pull-up bar you do some pull-ups it's not like it's easy it's still hard and at the end of the set or the end of your little you know mini pull-up session you're tired because it was hard to do them mm-hmm. but you're not necessarily going to failure I mean, you're definitely not going to failure with anything with this but i don't mean to like imply that it's just a it's as if you just like did a little you know jumping in place or jump roping or jumping jacks right it's not sure. like nothing you you do something you feel tired at the end of it Like when I'm done with the deadlift and have to do the goblet squat after that, like I don't want to do the goblet squat, even though it's, you know, five fairly comfortable reps, uh, it's still work, you know? And so, uh, yeah, so it's going well. And then we've also added to the front, and this is kind of the dangerous part. Like he still wants you to do a warm up, and for, for someone like my son, I'm trying to get him. And, and this is from other reading of these guys work. Uh, to have as many like movements as possible and just like get familiar in this young age with as many different types of movements. So like, you know, we're doing eight different things, a couple get ups and different things in the warm up of this, of the workout. And none of it's structured, it's just like get in, you know, jump rope for 200 reps and know, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, that workout is kind of for me growing a little bit, like and I'm learning to do more kettlebell swings during it and more, so like it's, it's creeping up. And that's becoming taking half the time, so suddenly the workout is not as easy as it was the first day, <laughs> so definitely yeah. a danger there uh but it's if that if that becomes a problem i'll I'll just tighten that up again and get back but you know the two by five for uh for five different exercises is a is a pretty cool little paradigm
0: very cool I like it
1: <laughs> good
0: whoa so What's no, that? Uh, Alexa. They- that
1: yeah,
0: somehow that triggered.
1: A... You said I like it? Maybe maybe that sounded like Alexa. <laughs>
0: um, yeah no, I mean I think I think I think it's great. I I uh, I have been itching to because I've been increasing my running quite a bit. I've been mm-hmm. itching to uh, increase my strength training again as well. You know I think I, I for some reason I guess it's just because we talk about things and and so historically like once we talk about it I kind of scratch it or it gets me excited about something and then I'll, yeah. I'll do it and. And, um, you know, so our kind of waves, I think have, have, uh, followed each other in many ways, yeah. um, about what we're, in, what we're excited about. And, um, this is perfect timing because I've been feeling that as well. I've just been feeling my, my running strength increase, uh, but the rest of my strength not increase. And, um, and I've, I've been wanting to get back into some of that strength training.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you get older, it becomes more and more important. I really think that specializing in any sport, uh, is is a good thing but the more you specialize the eventually there are trade-offs and you're not doing as much for your long-term health as you could be because you're trying to do well in your sport which is understandable but i just think as you get older that priority begins to shift and you start to care more about the other stuff so that's certainly the reason for my strength training uh you know for a recently and i'm I'm, i bet you'll head in that direction as well Yeah. yeah yeah all right so uh so what do we got today what are we what are we playing for the nice people
0: We have an interview today with uh, that Matt Tolman uh, interviewed Taylor Sitter, who is an entrepreneur and a physician. He is the founder of Levels, which uh, measures your metabolic rate, Um, and it's it's an interesting, it's a good one. They dive into the metabolic health crisis. Uh, the impact of processed foods, um, how to solve the broken healthcare system. I think that they didn't quite come up with a solution, but (laughs) you know, maybe identifying some of the issues. I thought
1: we were going to, we were onto something. And, uh,
0: and then more importantly, kind of some tips and, and things like the most important things you can do to, uh, improve your, your metabolic health. So it's, it's a really interesting one. He's, uh, he's obviously as a, as a doctor, he is well, he is very knowledgeable about this and, uh. Yeah, we're excited to share it with you today. Uh, but first, I did want to call attention to something that uh, if you're listening to this at, soon after it goes out today is November fourth, and up through Monday, November seventh, we are doing an early Black Friday sale on Compliment, and uh, it is really one of our biggest sales of the year. Um, you can get thirty percent off all of our bundles. So if you uh, if you like a variety of products, you can bundle them together and get thirty percent off. Or if you just want to stock up on Compliment essential, or Compliment protein, or daily greens, or any of that good stuff. It's all thirty percent off. This is uh, it, you're not going to get anything cheaper than this uh, throughout the rest of the Black Friday and promotions and all the other sales that are going to, you know, that the whole world is going to be embracing for, bracing for over the next month. Mm-hmm. Um, this is as cheap as it gets. So uh, if you want to stock up, now is definitely the time to do it. Uh, and we are running low on some of that inventory, so uh, act quickly.
1: There we go. Right, you can see. go to
0: lovecompliment.com love No coupon needed. It's all uh it's all all there for you
1: good you can stock up for the new year right prep prepper sale prep it's, yeah it's the bundle everything sale. get all you uh-huh. need in case in case something bad man happened. we should have called it that that's good. <laughs> i gotta
0: talk to you more about uh i have good marketing ideas yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh good well with that why don't we just jump right into the interview
1: all right sounds good oh and check out the plant-based morning show don't forget gotta gotta promote yep. that every time we do this one. absolutely all right talk to you soon
2: Taylor Sittler, head of research development at Levels, a physician and entrepreneur. Welcome to No Meat Athlete Radio. I am so excited to speak with you. Today of all days in particular, because you can't see it, but I've got my,
3: oh my. my CGM
2: here. Um, <laughs> been, uh, Yeah, I mean, you, you have tapped in to a level of neuroses that is really um, probably unhealthy, actually, but uh, <laughs> let, let, I'm jumping ahead. So let's talk about Levels. Levels of course, is a uh, a business bringing to consumers the technology and insight around your metabolic health. And so I'm so excited to dig into all of those topics related to it and some uh, maybe unrelated to it. I'll give you a little brief background, but I'll pause and say just thank you so much for making time and, and welcome to the podcast.
3: Yeah, thank you, Matt. I'm excited to talk with you. This should be fun.
2: Cool. So, Quick background, um, Taylor, you have been uh, focused on medicine and starting companies in genetics and women's health uh, Mm -hmm. for quite a few years. The last one was called Color Health, which you were just sharing with me is is now one of the largest COVID testing, uh, maybe called an institution at that level um, in the country. So outside the government, of course, and you were the chief science officer starting that um, and previously you completed your residency in clinical pathology at UCSF yeah. and started a genetics research group in the computer science department the fact that genetics research is in computer science just speaks to what a cool future we're going towards with AI and machine learning and all of the kind of breakthroughs that we will see but that that's for around two podcasts and your your bio goes on and on but I really want to make sure that we have, time to dig into this really important health topic, metabolic health, and and try to give our community some actionable insights to how we can all improve our metabolic health, especially at this moment when we have a metabolic epidemic of ill health, right, uh, happening. So lots to get into. Thank you again for, for joining us today.
3: Yeah, no, my pleasure. Um, yeah, maybe maybe it would make sense to start with the sort of metabolic health crisis, if you will. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the kind of the reason that you should care about this, right? That's, that's always the first question is why should I care about this? And um, I think the reason most people should care is that this is the probably the, the biggest biggest single thing that you can do to improve your health is to figure out how to improve your metabolic health. Um, and the the reason for that is that there's a, this crisis that's been building since really before I was born. I mean, I think it, it really started to, um, you know, become a real national problem in the 1970s already. And I remember when I was in medical school, seeing these maps of the United States. Um, at that time, it was called the obesity em- epidemic. And you just saw the, the states flipping colors kind of like a political map in an election. And um, I think Michael Pollan actually did a a great job of kind of summarizing this um, in his book Omnivore's Dilemma from 2006 already, where he compares the obesity epidemic to the alcohol epidemic from the 19th century, um, which in which time you know people were drinking at work, they were drinking for breakfast, they were drinking all the time, which, and that had predictably. A pretty nasty impact on a bunch of communities across the country and resulted in uh, prohibition for a little while. But, you know, some of the stats are, you know, over one in three Americans today have prediabetes or diabetes. Um, Nine in 10 of the leading causes of death in the U.S. are either directly caused by or worsened by metabolic dysfunction. And um, two thirds of the of the 120 million people who have prediabetes or diabetes don't know that they have a problem. So there's a, what you're talking about is like about at least a third of the country that has a serious problem and most of them don't know about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, this, this problem puts you at risk for uh, heart attacks, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, a ton of other common uh, debilitating conditions. So really, I think it's an important topic uh, and something people should know about. Um, The, the, you know, if you kind of get back to the causes of this, uh, they, they root back the, the cause of the alcohol epidemic was too much corn. People grew a ton of corn and they were f- trying to figure out what to do with it. So they they distilled it and they made a ton of whiskey. And that created predictably some problems where you had, I think at the peak, um, about, I think every American on average was drinking a fifth of corn whiskey a day. Um, now, fast forward to the 20th century. Um, it's it's a little, it, it's broadened now. It's not just corn that we um that we subsidize. But corn, wheat, a couple of these things have now been fractionated by industry because they're incentivized to use this material that we have so much of. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've created from corn, there are a hundred different products, right? Um, And and I think Michael Palm lists a bunch of them in his his earlier book. But the big one that we still focus on is high fructose corn syrup. So fructose has a very specific impact um, and is linked to gout, increased uric acid, um, one of our advisors, uh, David Perlmutter has a great book on this called drop acid, by the way. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, fructose is also linked to, uh, fatty liver disease, which is a common issue for a bunch of Americans. So, you know, basically we just have overproduced, uh, wheat and corn, and now unsurprisingly, you know, uh, entrepreneurs and, and other industrialists have come in and figured out what to do with that, and they fractionated it into different things, which now go into our foods. And I would say high, high fructose corn syrup, refined carbohydrates are two of the biggest things that um, change our metabolic health today. And yeah. it's almost impossible to stay away from them.
2: Um, so I wanted to start, you know, with the warm up and get into <laughs> sorry what what, what is <laughs> metabolic health and why should we care? But but I'm we're we're gonna go straight in and and I'm I'm actually gonna push back a little bit in the interest of of having uh-huh. a fun intellectual uh, uh, conversation because is it really that the um, excess corn? I mean, certainly having a a supply can sometimes create a market. It can sometimes create demand, but um, fundamentally, what we're talking about is human behavior and dopamine more so than uh, a, a surplus of corn, right? Because to some extent, and, and I'm, I'm working through this idea in my mind as I, mm. as I say it, because I guess, okay, a surplus of corn and distilled corn as whiskey drives down the price, makes it more accessible, but there is still nonetheless this, this human behavior where we are susceptible to pleasures, right? And, oh, 100%. you know, and, and so, so in the same way, and of course I'm, I'm a fan of Michael Pollan's work and, and certainly his, the conclusion of that book which is Eat Mostly Plants, right? Um, right. The, uh, uh, but, but nonetheless, I think it's, um, you know, interesting to think about. So with high fructose corn syrup and the derivatives uh, or I should say highly processed food, Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm in complete agreement with you that the challenge is that never before in human history have we been able to eat 2000 calories and feel as if we ate nothing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or, or an hour later, we feel as if we ate yeah. nothing. Right. Like a, a Big Mac and a Coke and fries like you could not design a more catastrophic meal in terms of metabolic health. And so I'm, I'm yeah. in complete agreement that, you know, it is our ingenuity. But fundamentally, it's not it's it's not a the the supply and demand equation it's it is the human behavior that we from an evolutionary standpoint were designed to have these incredible cravings for for energy dense foods right yeah. to to try to survive over long periods of famine um and you know in today's day and age, like the famine never comes. we just keep eating <laughs> so, so yeah. Yeah, help, help me work through that. And just, you know, I'm curious your, your thoughts on on the parallel.
3: Yeah, so so maybe I just, I mean, to me, those are actually one and the same. It's the, um, I, I think I just need to sort of double click and dive into it a little bit more. When you take a glut of corn or wheat that are now fract- able to be fractionated into these project- products, and you then match them with a potential market that's craving sweets or craving, you know, I mean, you know, fat like these, these things that we are evolutionarily programmed to crave, um, you're, you're going to get these types of products, right? You have a glut of things. You have some entrepreneurs that are really good at matching what people consider value with the stuff that's out there. And then boom, you have these products that are mass marketable, right? That are yeah. very pleasurable to eat. Um, and that you know, un, actually, unbeknownst to most of the entrepreneurs that were just taking this stuff that we had and trying to put it in, package it in a way that people liked, it has a really bad impact on people's health. So I think that's, to me, that's the catastrophe. Is it's taking these, um, it's, it, it's, it was sort of a, um, I think I don't think anybody who, like the 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 um, government officials in the 1970s that started subsidizing corn wanted to feed humanity, right? They weren't out to like mess with anybody's metabolic health. And I'll, I'll bet, you know, the entrepreneurs that created f- things like craft foods and stuff like that, they, they weren't bad people either, but um, they, you know, once you create these highly processed foods um, what we're learning is that that has a huge impact on your body because yeah, you have a, you have an urge to keep eating them. Um, and you, you now have food labs where they, you know, try to come up with things that will be more right. appealing to people. And, um, and and these things now have predictable impacts on your body, mostly uh, on insulin resistance. And that rise in insulin resistance is really what sort of wrecks havoc on the rest of the body. So, well,
2: I want I want to get into insulin uh, insulin resistance, um, but let's let's keep going on this cultural path for a second. I don't, I, I, you know, I know I know you're a, a physician and a scientist more so than a uh, I don't know. Uh, um, an, anal- uh, an analyst uh, on Wall Street. Yeah, that too. <laughs> um, so so I certainly don't want to put you outside of your comfort zone, but, but fundamentally, this is the question that we have to answer as a society, because yeah. to your point, right, we have this market force that is driving dollars, I mean, billions and billions of dollars yeah. into the R&D around um, really pleasure, if we're going to call it what it is, like yeah. I mean, you know, designing the, the the crystalline structure of sugar so that it has, you know, more surface area and can hit your tongue and drive those senses that you're looking for. And it's like, should we really be doing that? Right. Like, I mean, <laughs> that really, you know, yeah. what we, like maybe we yeah. should spend money on like trying to get people to more ex- exercise a little bit more, you know? Yeah. So, but I'm, so, so I'm curious to you because you know, I am a believer in the free market, I, I believe mm-hmm. in the ingenuity uh, that you um, reference. And, you know, I think it, you know, of course, you can, you can sell things, right? Like, like you mentioned, tobacco, alcohol, we've been doing it for probably millennia, you know, it's like Reed Hoffman yeah. says, he likes to start businesses that prey on people's vices, right? It's like, <laughs> you, you know, there's going to be a market there, you know, yeah. because people want what you have. And, and so I'm just curious, uh, again, not uh, um, not to put you in an uncomfortable position to solve all of the world's problems at once, but um, wh- wh- how do we fix this, right? You've been thinking about yeah. this a long time. Like y- you can't, I, I don't think, um, well, although the studies have been very interesting to see, you know, there's a state in Mexico that that has uh, was that either a ban of I think soda and convenience stores. And like three years later, <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, like, but you don't really want a, the government to tell mm-hmm. you what you're allowed to eat. And on the other hand, it's like, if you allow people the freedom of choice, to your point, you know, the cheapest thing right now is to go get the taquito rolling at 7-Eleven on that little hot tray. And yeah. it, it's just, it's dreadful for your health, short-term and long-term. So yeah, what's the solution?
3: Well, I think it's, it's a few fold. I mean, it depends on what you want to solve for, um, We've got a broken food system and we've got a broken healthcare system. If we limit ourselves to the food system for now, I think, you know, on a, on a personal level, there's a ton you can do, right? Don't eat the stuff, right? It's, and, and, you know, I think one of the benefits, we we don't have to go down this route yet, but I think one of the benefits of modern technology and specifically continuous monitoring, like as, you know, like glucose monitoring. You can, you can get a reflection of your behavior and see how it's impacting your health. And that's pretty powerful. Um, I would say, you know, there are some basic things that you can do. Like, you know, you were saying before, we, we never stop eating now. We just kind of do it all the time. Giving your metabolism a rest has a ton of value, it turns out. Uh, intermittent fasting or periodic fasting, however you want to practice it, can be super valuable for people, right? Just giving your body a break from metabolism doesn't even have to be that long. You can be sleeping most of the time. That's really great. So I think there are personal behavioral changes that can have a ton of impact. And if you want, we can double click on that and go down that path. Um, And then I think from a societal level, I think what we have to do is really review our incentive structure. Uh, And I think it impacts both the things that we subsidize. So I, for instance, if we st- if we stopped subsidizing corn and wheat for the production of, of different things, right? Different refined foods, uh, that would actually change the market pretty instantaneously. Um, but that would be a big impact on farmers. And so we have to think about that. Uh, the other thing, is, and this is changing, is we really need to think about the food pyramid because the food pyramid, and I think what we tell people about what to eat was really designed by industry groups rather than health groups, and and that needs to change as well. We know now more or less what we did. Actually, I, I don't. I won't say that. We we we're learning what we should eat and what we shouldn't eat. Um, one of the big learnings, by the way, is that uh, it's pretty different for all of us. And I mean, if you've been wearing the CGM for a little while, you've probably been surprised by a few things that you've eaten. Uh, at least I was the first time I did it. So. Yeah. That that'd be, but, I think you know. There's personal and there's government, and and yeah, those are the two big levers, I think.
2: Yeah. Well, I'll punt this to the end if we have time, because I, mm-hmm. I really want to make sure to to that our listeners are able to to uh, learn something about metabolic health and also learn some practices or some tips and tricks to optimize their behavior. Um, uh, but I I think the one area that that um, uh, that, that, uh, I would add to your list, um, uh, which is a good one. And that is, uh, you know, h- how do we use market forces to create an incentive, uh, around preventative medicine? Because right now yes. we have so much money going into the healthcare system and yet, um, you know, unfortunately those are for open heart surgeries. Right. And, and I don't remember the exact number, but it's over $500,000 to do an open heart surgery. And unfortunately, most of that comes within the last two, three, five years of life. Right. And there's a lot of questions that we have to, you know, very, very uncomfortable questions that we have to, to, to answer as a society. Um, but most importantly, you know, if we can create an incentive and, and, you know, um, Prudential, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I don't think I am, but for some reason that doesn't ring true right now, um, is really looking at a plant-based diet, you know, and, and some, some of these health insurance companies are kind of coming ar- around to the idea that lifestyle interventions, you know, mm-hmm. and something like continuous monitoring to help people learn about their behaviors and how it impacts their health and, and how then we can kind of look at different trajectories, Right if if yeah. we can tweak that incentive structure and all of a sudden, you know, not be spending that kind of money at the end of life, that, that's a game changer. So lot lo, lo, lots to work on there.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and I, I would say just, just to add a, a couple of, I mean, I'm, I'm a hundred percent aligned with that. Uh, I was trying to limit myself to talking about the food system, but fair, uh, on, fair. on the, on the healthcare piece uh, you know, I think one of the big changes that we've seen starting with Obamacare was, uh, at the adoption of accountable care, um, so basically it's it's fixed fixed fee for service um, of of a certain population. That's the way that the government is starting to to deal with that. And I think, you know, if we look, the the good news is that we have a ton of other economies we can look to um, that that offer universal health care. We're really the only one that doesn't. Um, if we were to start to do that, there would be inertial pressure. Uh, mm-hmm. to, for preventive care, right? It's part of the reason that, for instance, the UK traditionally has had a phenomenal preventive service um, because it's a, um, it's a national healthcare system and the government for a while put a bunch of money into it. So they were really yep. the sort of world leaders in terms of preventive care. And actually Cuba also, they had this model in the early 2000s where they would actually send doctors to do house calls uh, across H- Havana. And it was incredibly effective. If somebody goes and visits you in your home, they can figure out how to help you be, stay healthier. Um, and, yeah. and even doctors today will say that they'll admit that doing house calls is really effective because you see someone in their environment. Um, so you know, there's a yeah. ton of stuff that we can do on that front, but it's, uh, yeah, that's that's a, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that I'm up for the task of changing the incentive structures, but um, I'll try to start the businesses that uh, can help people, you know, better understand their health and and prevent disease.
2: Right. Well, to your point, right, with outcomes-based care, right, or orienting uh, Mm -hmm. the consumer, the doctor, the payer, the provider uh, towards health outcomes, you know, that necessitates technology like what you're building at levels, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because if you can't measure the outcome, then, then you can't manage it, right? Um, but,, uh, but, yeah, needless to say, the the uh, payer, patient provider, you know, <laughs> yeah, Nexus, whatever you want to call it is is something that will will take some time to to disintermediate. but um so let's let's take a step back. You, you got me going on the the cultural level. Let's bring it down to the the individual. um and as we do, i'm, I'm we're talking about health, and here I'm sitting down, so. And go over to my standing desk, but, um, nice. so tell me, tell me, uh, what is metabolism? You know, what, what uh, is metabolic health? What is insulin resistance and why should we care? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. So, so metabolism is something that every cell goes through that. Um, so cells take either glucose or fat and they turn it into energy, right? And that energy is required to live, right? Every cell needs some combination of those two things um, to live. And so not surprisingly, your body has developed this pretty complex cascade to uh, regulate and and control the level of those two substances, glucose and fat, so that every cell in your body can use them because without them, your cells would die very quickly. So um, metabolism is really just the process of taking that that, uh, fuel if you will, and turning it into energy. And um, we, we basically, let's see, what what is metabolic health from there? So what we are learning is that how your body handles those fuels and actually switches between those fuels can tell you uh, a lot about how healthy you are. So metabolic health is, and your level of metabolic health is really the how well your body is able to switch between Fat and glucose, and process it, and and use the micronutrients and the other things that we uh, ingest um, to function. Um, and and a someone who's metabolic healthy can really effectively take these fuel these fuel sources and turn them into energy. Whereas somebody who's not metabolically healthy can't do that. Right. It it only may result in a third of the energy, or you know, it it's not serving them as well. Um, and we can measure that in different ways. So, you know, the the sort of classic way that medicine has used is um, to give somebody a slug of glucose and then see where your uh, glucose level is two hours after you gave the the shot. Um, the and that that actually was the basis for for diagnosing diabetes um, for a long time. Um, with with glucose monitoring, we're able to measure those changes in much more detail and look at how quickly you get a spike, how quickly it resolves, how high does it go? There are a bunch more things that we can tell now with modern wearables um, that are really gonna enable us to better monitor people's health. Um, and, and that's where, you know ultimately, I think the concept of resilience will come in, um, in, in terms of how we think about health.
2: Very cool. I do wanna get into resilience. I know you, you think a lot about that and it's an awesome, Concept because that's ultimately what we're you know, what we should all be aspiring towards, right? Just a really resilient existence. Um, but uh let, let's go a little deeper on fat and glucose. Mm. Um so so again, let's just keep it at sort of 101 coursework, entry-level college, you know, because I think a lot of people we're We're familiar with this stuff, especially because these topics have been popularized in the you know keto, paleo, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, the idea that your body can can rely on fat or you starve it of carbohydrate to lose weight. Maybe you can just expand and and help us learn a little bit more. take us through a day. you you wake up in a fasted state, you know you you go work out. where Where is your body pulling energy from in in that case?
3: Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. This is actually, it's a great, it's a great topic. The, um, so as you, after you've, after you've eaten dinner, we'll, we'll start with dinner and, and we'll Perfect. go to bed. Okay. Yeah. So after you've eaten dinner, generally you've, you've consumed, there are three macro, basically macronutrients that we consume. Um, and, and it's a little bit simplified, but I think good for understanding there are sugars or carbohydrates, right? Um, And those include, you know, any kind of sweet products that like sucrose or glucose or fructose, as well as starches, right? Any kind of pasta or pizza or breads. Um, The second category are fats right and you have saturated and unsaturated and we know that there are omega 3s and omega 6s and all that stuff that's the second category and then the third macronutrient category is proteins and that should also include nucleic acids right they're the building blocks of the cells so you eat all of that stuff and when you're when you're done eating dinner your glucose level is going to start to rise right your your pancreas is going to see that it's going to start to release insulin into your bloodstream um, and you know we'll get into insulin and metabolic health in a minute, but it's going to release insulin and that's going to drop your, your glucose level back down. Your, your liver is also storing a bunch of that glucose and the carbohydrates. Uh, and then over the course of the night, your liver slowly releases that, that glucose. So it goes up, it goes back down to a reasonable level, hopefully around 90 or 100 uh, at the top. And then over the night, um, the amount of glucose that your liver releases starts to go down right? And the longer you fast, actually, the farther down that goes. And uh, over time, your body will switch. If let's say you didn't eat anything the next day, your body's going to switch from about a half glucose, half uh, carbohydrate, or half fat to all fat, pretty much. It'll drop down to say maybe 20, 30% over time. Uh, And that's because in a fasted state, your body conserves glucose and uses fat. Fat is able to make a lot more energy than glucose is. So you can make almost, I think it's twice as, I think it's nine to four. So it's twice as much energy from fat uh, per unit volume as you can from glucose. So not surprisingly over time, you switch to, to a fat metabolism. Glucose is the preferred fuel for your brain, which takes a lot of energy, but your body tends to conserve that fuel as much as possible. Um, and now the role of insulin in all this is, Insulin, when insulin is released, it's a it's kind of a, a signal to all the cells in the body that it's okay to start using glucose. We have enough food. we have we have more food coming. so you can pack stuff away. you can use glucose for fuel. You don't have to conserve anymore. It's kind of like the body can grow, go out and party. Um, if you and and you know, over time, higher and higher levels of inf- insulin over a longer and longer period of time, keep the body in that growth mode uh, for more than is, is healthy. Um, but let's go through the day. So we fasted overnight. We're now burning, let's say, you know, one third, uh, one third uh, glucose, two thirds fat. You, go, you get up in the morning and let's say you go for a run. Um, you're, uh, if you go for a fast run, let's say you push yourself a little bit, your glucose is probably going to spike. Um, you you're recruiting those type two muscles, your body is exercising, you're sweating, you're, you're actually going through a lot of glycolysis, right? So you're, you're using not just aerobic, but anaerobic metabolism to either, you know, jump or lift a weight or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, so it's, and that produces lactate and that lactate then gets used by some of the rest of your cells or makes your muscles sore later. Um, you're done with your workout, your glucose drops back down. Um, now you're probably, you're probably headed out to pick up a smoothie or you want some kind of a breakfast. You take a slug. Now your glucose spikes back up again, because you've just, you just had something. And it turns out we can drink a lot more calories than we can eat. So, or we can drink calories faster, I will say. Um, Mm -hmm. so you can actually spike your sugar faster with a drink than you can with food. Um, so you have breakfast, um, your, your pancreas now sees that uh, sugar coming again, releases insulin, your body packs all that sugar away and the, the glucose level comes back down. And now you're, you're in sort of a, a you're, you you know, your liver is starting to, to burn um, or release less and less uh, glucose and more and more fat until you eat your next meal. Um, what we find for most people is that there's not that much time between meals during the day. So the glucose is the the liver is is actually just kind of constantly packing stuff away um so then you eat lunch at say one or two p m uh latest uh, and then you go and eat dinner again and you know you get another spike and now we're we're doing that same dance over and over again Got
2: it um so what happens uh when you're well so again i'm i'm just i'm curious because uh, making this practical and we'll go both directions. Uh, yeah. so for someone who wants to leverage this insight for weight loss, for instance, sure. um, you know, uh, the idea then is to, you know, essentially starve your body of that glucose. Eventually your liver will run out of it. And then your body has to tap into, um, you know, uh, fat storage to, you know, uh, yeah. find an energy source this is the basis of you know the thinking behind you know intentional ketosis there's an argument to be made that you know ketosis is like an evolutionary uh parachute right and like we probably shouldn't be pulling on that every single day for long periods of time because it can have some other downstream ramifications I- I'm curious if you can just speak to one how do uh, leverage, like I said, this insight of of maybe exercising in a fasted state or doing a prolonged fast to to maybe totally. um, cut down on on some excess fat on your body. Yep. And then also, if you can comment on, you know, maybe the pros and cons of of intentional ketosis and where you come out, yeah, you know, based on the science.
3: Yeah. No. Definitely. Um, before we do that, do you mind? I I, I would love to learn more about. The, the sort of evolutionary parachute and and what you meant by that uh I, yeah. I didn't quite get that part
2: well it's a it's a survival mechanism right sure. that you are tapping into a, a a biological process that is is supposed to you know keep you alive right mm-hmm. not necessarily keeping you thriving and and in fairness you 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 you're calling me out uh because i think that's been years since i looked into it and um i can't even blame the person who gave me that idea um i'm like (laughs) stretching but but anyway the point the point being is that like hey you know should you really be you know putting yourself into this situation where your body right like my sister's a type one diabetic and if her body is releasing ketones that that's a sign of bad things happening, right? It's like it's not intentional. It's not something that we want to intentionally trigger. But look, I, you you know, I, I will happily be wrong because you know, um, again, I don't have good science to back it up today. So, so I'd love no, to hear no, your not, thoughts.
3: No, this wasn't so much right or wrong. I was just wondering. It 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 seemed like there was a negative connotation associated with it, and I just that's why I was well, they, was they, interested. They,
2: yeah, no, there there certainly was, um, but not a well-founded one apparently. So, but tell me, um, yeah, I mean, tell me, tell me your thoughts.
3: Well, I, I sort of see it as yes, it's it's an evolutionary mechanism uh, that developed because for most of our existence, we didn't have access to food all the time. So this was actually the normal state for most people is going multiple days without eating, um, and you know most organisms, I think, back to I mean, we've done this in worms now, show that calorie restriction actually prolongs life. So I think that, I mean, my, after, I mean, I've been reading about this for a long time. My take is that actually having periods of ketosis or fasting or whatever you want to call it, um, I think really metabolic rest is actually super beneficial for the organism in a number of ways. Um, And we showed experimentally sort of, that or empirically, I guess, about 20, 30 years ago, that um, it's helpful for life extension. Now we're starting to understand some of the mechanisms by which that happens. Uh, One of them is fasting actually just lowers insulin, right? And it can kind of reset your your insulin, which is a big one, I think, when you think about metabolic health. But some of the other things that happen are when when you get into a fasted state, your body has to start um, your your each cell essentially goes into this uh, Darwinian race, and the cells that are the least fit end up dying off, right? And, and a lot of we, we hear a lot these days about senescent cells or these zombie cells that sit around um, and autophagy, which is the process of a cell using its own proteins to survive when it doesn't have enough food around. And it turns out that that process, kicking that process into gear on a regular basis, is probably pretty healthy for people. It helps clear out the garbage. And I would say, if there's one thing that is common to most of the diseases that hit as you get older, it's that our bodies don't take out the garbage as well. So if you can help the body take out the garbage, I think you're gonna you're gonna help. Um, you're you're gonna do well. And so, so I guess that that was that's the main reason why I think moving back to having periods of metabolic rest is is super helpful. And there's some health benefits, yeah. I think. Um, what I've seen personally just on the glucose trace is it, it actually helps squash my spikes so I can eat the same thing and it won't spike my glucose as much, uh, if I've been fasting. Um, but that's not true for everybody, right? These are, these are sort of individual observations using glucose for weight loss is actually a really interesting one that I've been exploring a little bit. And we, you know, I don't know that we have the answer yet, but there are a couple of really interesting things. Um, one to your point is, uh, if you know, if you go into a fasted state, ketosis, you're lowering insulin, you're essentially opening the gate for your, adip- your your fat cells to start releasing fat, right? which enables them to get smaller, which enables you to lose weight, right? And it enables you to burn fat more. So being in a fasted state switches your metabolism to burn a larger fraction of fat. Um, and it also kind of opens the gate for your fat cells to really release and be the major, contributors of that energy rather than the liver or or other things, Um, because your fat cells have a much larger reservoir of energy than your liver does. Um, The second thing that's really interesting, and people have just started talking about this, is uh, zone two training. So it turns out low heart rate training is good in a bunch of ways. One, it actually builds your aerobic base, so it allows your, your muscles to gain strength over time. And if you if you're diligent about it, it's boring, so a lot of people don't do it. But if you're diligent about it, it can really build strength for people. Um, number two, uh, it's it's burning a larger fraction of fat. So you're if you want to exercise and you want to burn fat, zone two training is great. It means mm-hmm. you're going to have to exercise for longer because you're not burning as much energy as if you were running full speed or you know lifting something as heavy as you could. Your calorie output isn't as high, but uh, you're it's a great way to burn a ton of fat. Uh, so, you know, I think those two things, and, and you can actually watch your glucose level change on your CGM and use mm-hmm. that as kind of a, a it, you know, we don't have quantitative breakpoints yet, but you can use that as a way to, uh, burn fat and, and potentially to lose weight. And we, we've got some, there's a weight loss section on the, uh, levels health, uh, blog that talks about this. We're, we're not a, a weight loss product but I think, you know, you can use this technology to lose weight. And some of our members have lost 20 pounds, 40 pounds, 80 pounds. Um, so it, yeah, it it can be really effective.
2: Yeah, no, it is, it is. It is. Well, I'll, I'll go back to the keto thing in a second, but, um, it is fascinating to see, you can see the little, a little dip there, um, yeah. was a, uh, so I did zone two training, not intentionally. I I'm, uh, uh, I was on the bike for about an hour. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, um but i I am in a uh, very fasted state. I stopped eating at uh, about five thirty yesterday, and I'll go oh. until six today do um, Wow, you know, a, a, a good, a good long fast. Um, i I traveled a bunch in August, and I just um, and then prolon next week. I have on Prolon this week, but um, anyway, because cool. I want to see how this stuff, I'm just a nerd when it comes to this uh this this kind of data so doing some intermittent some some time restricted feedings this week and just seeing how how things look and then I'm going to do the five-day prolon which is a um yeah I'm I'm I'm, I'm, jury's still out I've done prolon uh twice now and Mm -hmm. uh I'm still I'm not uh, (laughs) I think I'd rather just not eat then then eat that um, yeah but that's, that's, <laughs> that's kind of put more power I'll, to 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 dr longo and love love the work and can't um yeah i get it but uh i don't know for someone who fasts as much as i do I, you know it's just it's it's worse to me to have like a little little snack like that i just rather not eat you know get get that glide path after the first day and just like you know anyway but um sorry you're gonna
3: say something That's really cool. Well, yeah. I mean, I've been really looking into this too. So I'd love to follow along, uh, in your, what you learn just out of curiosity, how low were you able to get your glucose to drop to when you were on the bike?
2: Um, 85 and then, uh, yeah, let's see. Um, now I'm down to 83, but I don't, um, aside from, uh, sort of, um, I don't know what you, you probably have a term for this, but a, a, uh, um, the, the the resulting low from an, an insulin induced low overnight. Mm -hmm. Um, I have not been able to get past probably 80, uh, in a fasted state. And I, I don't know, we can, we can analyze that if you'd like, but, um, there have been, like I said, I was, I was on vacation and, you know, had some gelato and, and uh, like, whatever, 10 o'clock at night walking home from dinner, you know, uh, totally outside of my norm. And of course, like, the CGM goes off, you know, as I hit 54 overnight. And, you know, we know that because, again, my sister's a type one diabetic, So that sound uh, really resonates with me. And it was like the first time that I had, that I, you know, bonked out. of Got in a crash. Yeah, yeah. And I wake up like three AM thinking something's wrong, right? And and like I didn't know, like I was like, do I eat something? Like I'm not diabetic. I don't think I'm going to go into a coma. So like, what do I do anyway? So super interesting. But yeah, I haven't, um, I haven't found. Maybe I got into the seventies a little bit. Um, That's pretty good. But yeah, usually, usually in a fasted state, it's it's like right at that eighty mark at best. I'm actually surprised, uh, even in this time restricted. Uh last couple of days I've been playing around with this stuff, doing 16 hours, 12 hours, just seeing how how mm-hmm. things go, trying to eat consistently each day. I mean, you know, it's N of one. It's not like uh it's publishable, but it'll make for a good blog post on no meat athlete.com. But anyway, um, nice. yeah, so so uh well I'll I'll pause there, hear any comments, and then I'll I'll wrap things up on the ketosis.
3: Yeah, no, I mean the, I'm really interested. I think what we're seeing is that there are a variety of responses, right? And, and actually 80 baseline, if what you're saying is you kind of flatline overnight at around 80, that's great. That's, that's really good. I think, you know, you can get lower if you go for longer periods of time. um, And if you go for, um, if you practice for months on end, but 80, I think is pretty solid. And, you know, I think what we've been what we've been talking about is normal range for most people is between 70 and 110, trying to keep your glucose there. Most of the day is, is helpful. And we've just released, I don't know if you see the ring on your app yet, Mm -hmm. but we just released that ring to help people understand, you know, when you're going through these, these spike events and, and so you can get a snapshot.
2: Yeah, that was, that was a good UX improvement for sure. I, I had not, like I said, I'm not a good example. And I'm definitely not hovering around 80. I'm probably more so in the 85 to 100. But again, I was on the road for three weeks. You know, we did a team event and all sorts of stuff. So so I got my my baseline in terms of what it looks like if I'm eating and drinking and doing all these things that I don't usually do. And now, like I said, this week, I'm doing different periods of time-restricted feeding and then next week i'm going to do a five-day prolong fast and we'll see what i do the third week and then then i'll have a six-week period where it's like here's what not to do and here's you know different uh, you know v- various versions of um longer term fast not that long but longer um yeah, anyway cool. thank thank you for for um getting to the ketosis stuff like i said I, i'm a, i'm gonna invite you back we'll do a round to maybe after those uh, six weeks elapsed, because um, I, I do want to go back and try to figure out where did I get that Im- impression that there was some sort of downstream negative effect of ketosis? Because to your point, you know, I, I love fasting, right? I've just never had that um, conception that, you know, it's, it's designed to like release ketones. And you always hear about the, the side effects, people with bad breath or body mm-hmm. odor, this or that. And and like, I've never, but, but you're absolutely right that obviously I'm, I'm, you know, tapping into some level of that myself, probably on a daily basis. Cause you know, I prefer not to eat to generally. So, um, anyway, thank you for, for correcting me and, and forcing me to go back down that path and figure out why, why I thought that. Um, so let's talk a little bit more. I know we only have, you know, probably another 15 minutes at most. <laughs> um, I want to, uh, Give um, so we talked a little bit about fat burning. Um, mm-hmm. What about uh, building muscle? Whether you're an endurance athlete, a bodybuilder, some other type of athlete, um, or you're just getting a little older, as we see a lot um, with uh, you know wiser elders. Elders isn't. I'm trying to rebrand older Americans. The elders. <laughs> I love it. Um, super important to maintain you know, um, your body weight, right. And, mm-hmm. and strength and everything else falls are a huge issue. My, my grandmother just passed away. She fell, broke her hip two days later, she mm-hmm. passed, you know, like we, you know, maintaining strength into your older years. So for whatever reason it might be, um, how can we leverage this insights around, um, metabolism and glucose and this and that to, to maximize, uh, recovery, for instance, or, or or muscle synthesis.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I would I would actually start with I mean that what the core of levels right now is really helping people understand how food affects their health, right? So a lot of the the content a lot of the app is is geared around helping you understand your diet. And a a, a good diet that includes micronutrients, vitamin D, stuff like that is I think really the cornerstone to any kind of a good athletic performance or endeavor, right. Or, or for older folks, even maintaining good muscle mass. Um, and you know, we talked a little bit about the macronutrients. I'm sure you've seen game changers, right. That was what convinced me to become a vegetarian. Um, you know, if I've got Olympic athletes telling me that that's a vegetarianism is an edge for them. I'm like, okay, maybe I should take this seriously. Right. Um, that's awesome. so, you know, I, I, do think that that is, uh, and, and it, the, the interesting thing, of course, is this isn't, when you get down to it, it, it matches with what Michael Pollan is saying perfectly. Eat food, mostly plants, not too much, right? Um, and yeah. and for, you know, not too much is different for an athlete than it is for, uh, you know, a 60-year-old person who has, you know, two jobs and is, is pretty sedentary or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, that, I think, is the cornerstone. And then we're really starting to experiment with how you can um, how you can help people train uh, and I'm not sure that glucose is the best place to start there. So one of the things one of, and one of the reasons I joined levels was to help them broaden out to think about other things outside of glucose um, And you know the if we just look at the stuff that's on the market today, I would say heart rate monitoring and temperature monitoring are two things that can be really helpful um, for building muscle and things like that. if you combine, Heart rate, temperature, and glucose, you're getting a sense for, okay, how much fat am I burning from your, if you're doing strenuous exercise, you can see from the glucose spike, how much of the, how much of muscle are you recruiting, you know, how, how big of a spike is this? Like, for me, if I do a CrossFit workout, um, just a moderate one, I go to 170. If I do an extreme one, I'll go up to 200 or something like that. Um, your heart rate changes pretty quickly. So you can see, you know, where your heart rate is for endurance athletes. What they'll do is, you know, run four miles and see what their average heart rate is, and then, you know, do it again in two weeks. And hopefully their average heart rate has dropped for those same Mm. four miles, right? So you can use these tools to really help you improve your athletic performance. Um, And I think glucose is really one of a couple that are helpful. So I, if, when I'm working out, I'll wear a, um, I'll wear a CGM and I'll also wear a whoop for, for instance, right? Um, yeah. Heart rate variability can help you there as well. Higher heart rate variability indicates you might be primed for a bigger workout. Whereas if you didn't sleep well, or um, <clears throat> you worked out a lot yesterday, your HRV might be lower and you're not going right. to, you know, you, you don't have a good training day. So that yeah. that's, I, I think we're still learning about athletic performances, but talking to a lot of athletes and trying to learn more.
2: Very cool. Yeah. No, I, I am uh, very excited for this quantitative future. I've got, you know, the aura Ring, the Garmin, you know, we've done the Whoop, it's, nice. uh, yeah. Um, and this, in fact, the CGM's on this arm too. So three devices in this amount of spaces, yeah. Anyway, wow. um, let's talk about a few uh, um, uh, practical things, probably more curiosities, um, alcohol. So mm-hmm. we all know alcohol is bad for you. I don't think mm-hmm. anyone's still uh, playing the Reservatrol card. Um, no. I- I'm curious: uh, is there something about alcohol as a toxin um, that uh, leads to, you know, an impact on metabolic health outside of the fact that you're drinking excess calories that aren't really giving you anything? beneficial to your body. I'm just curious I haven't looked into this at all. I don't really yeah. drink uh, aside from like weddings but I know a lot of people do and and so I'm curious what the science has shown us about alcohol.
3: Yeah so it's so it's interesting actually in and I've seen this throughout most of my medical career too uh, alcohol in small doses can actually have some beneficial effects um, but in large doses is very detrimental. so let's let's go to both sides of that. I think and, and define
2: with small and large because I feel like that's gonna yeah. that's gonna be very important.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, again, it's kind of different for everyone, right? And not yeah. not everyone can do this. It's probably mostly based on body weight, uh, but we have seen that you know drinking one or two drinks with dinner can actually be beneficial. Uh, and people have talked about you know the wine and the Mediterranean diet for years, and I think they were pointing to resveratrol initially, but. Uh, one of the interesting things that we see is uh, a a glass of wine with a bowl of pasta, for instance, um, will reduce the glucose spike that, that pasta causes. Um, Now on the other, on the other side of things, you're, you're uh, kind of ramping up fat metabolism, your, your triglycerides can spike as a result of drinking. So drinking one glass is probably pretty good. Drinking five glasses, not, not good for you anymore. And um, the, you know, so so that glucose drop, and, and you should try it. I mean, just have yeah. a, a bowl of pasta, uh, you'll you'll see your glucose start to go up. Have a drink of wine, you'll just see it drop, and it's it's really interesting. Um, so it it can be, I think, and and what they're seeing in terms of its effect is sort of a J curve. So those people that drink one to two drinks uh, tend to do really well with it. Those people that drink any more don't. Um, and and the real yeah. impact on the body is if we go to the other end of it. Um, I remember in, in medical school during my third and fourth year, I was taking care of um, al- you know folks who had drunk, had had a lot of alcohol and were having liver failure. Uh, and, and it's really hardest on the liver. The liver is like your core metabolic organ in the body. It really, it, you know, it releases glucose. It will turn fat into ketones via fatty acid oxidation. So it's really a core liver to help the, the body metabolically, uh, a, a core organ. And um, alcohol really hammers it, right? It, it does, it has effects on a number of different things, but that to me is the biggest uh, detrimental effect over time. And so having, you know, binge drinking, things like that can really hammer your liver and, and throw your metabolism into a spin.
2: Um, so you're the first physician I've ever, uh, spoken to, interviewed anything that has actually encouraged drinking. Um, but yeah, I, you I'm know, I, at, I, just I
3: probably shouldn't do that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, look, we got it. We got to let the science, um, in fairness, you, you did say try it. And, you know, I look at that as the, in, in the spirit of, you know, good, good scientific research. We got to try everything. Right. Um, yeah. So just out of curiosity, cause I will, I will do that. I don't know when, cause I like to fit things in, but, um, uh, how, how, you know, generally speaking, I think you, you see, a, a, a uh, um, you know, the glucose trace start trending up about 20 minutes after you eat and probably peaking at, you know, maybe 40 minutes. I know every person is different and that yeah. is the nature of metabolic health, right? We're trying to, we're trying to work that curve in different ways. But I'm just curious, is that um, kind of in, in line with what a generally healthy person would expect?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, so it you'll peak within an hour, let's say, and then for, for someone who has um, a healthy metabolic response, you'll actually see a biphasic curve. So there's an initial um, set of insulin that's released by the pancreas, and that, that drives the, the initial glucose back down. And then it will rise up as you continue to digest and your pancreas kind of adjusts the amount of insulin that's released afterwards. And that, that produces that second spike where it goes back down. Um, and so, part of the reason that gelato induces a crash is because that, that second spike isn't, it's, it's not well, it's not as well controlled. Like your are you're sort of, your pancreas has over-released uh, an right. amount of insulin. So.
0: Right, right.
2: Because um, we didn't even get into how detrimental a, a high can be and why this is such a uh, um, yeah. deadly uh, condition for you know those hundred million Americans that have just been in an overfed state for so many years. Um, maybe you can quickly comment on that and then I got one one more question for you, um, and then we can kind of start to wrap it up. But um, sure. yeah, why why don't you want to be uh, in a high, glucose state continuously
3: yeah so so what what happens is when you um well first i mean the most the most obvious thing is if your if your glucose is is always spiking or always high then the the level of of glucose in your bloodstream is high all over your body and glucose uh, is it tends to stick to things so it sticks to proteins it sticks to cells and it inactivates them um, and what you're measuring when you measure a, an HbA1c level is you're measuring the amount of, of sugar, basically the amount of glucose that's stuck to the hemoglobin in your red blood cells. Um, and having a you know more exposure over time just deactivates all the cells in your body more quickly. So it, it, it means more turnover, it requires more taking out of the trash, um, and, and it leads to things like diabetes when you get sugar stuck to your nerves and they don't function anymore. Um, so that's the most direct thing. Indirectly, what happens is as you eat more sugar or more regular sugar, your insulin level has to go higher and higher in order for your body to correct those glucose levels. It basically just gets to a new set point and, um, it won't, it, it, the, the cells don't respond to the same level of insulin. So your pancreas has to pump out more. And there are now, you know, a ton of different diseases that are linked to that elevated insulin level. So we know that mm-hmm. if your body is in growth mode, that is if insulin is around more of the time, um, bad things will happen. So you, you get um, increased inflammation, which leads to cardiovascular disease. We know that, you know, we call Alzheimer's, uh, you know, uh, colloquially type, three. type three diabetes, yeah. right? Um, but, but you also have things like cancer, which, um, you know, cancer cells function largely on uh, glucose and glycolysis, right? They need that uh, fuel source and they're also insulin puts them into that growth mode. So there are a number of, I mean, for instance, we have shown that um, women who have had breast cancer, if they do a 13 hour fast, um, they're less likely to get uh, breast cancer again. They're less likely to get a recurrence. So we do, we are starting to see associations between that insulin level and the glucose exposure and um, things like cancer as well. So yeah. that's why I think having a high glucose level over time, which leads to a higher insulin level, um, which leads the body into this abnormal growth mode creates havoc. Got it.
2: Um, just just to clarify, because it's an amazing anecdote. Uh, the women um, in remission from breast cancer, the 13 day fast, was that like once a week or just like one sorry
3: 13 hours fasting for at least 13 hours a day so intermittent fasting oh time per restricted. day
2: per day continuously got yep. it. okay
3: yeah got it got it, got it. And, okay and there's a there are a number of studies now so we don't really know what the optimal amount of time is but it seems to be at least 13 hours a day um gives you some effect
2: um yeah because i think uh I think I had read something like autophagy kicks in at like 16 hours, um, but I would love for it to be 13 hours. So I'm going to go dig into that a little bit more because that would make my day a lot easier. But, <laughs> um, so um, let me ask you just one more thing. It's a bit of a a, a big topic, but um, there's uh, a uh, few of our friends um, who believe in a uh, largely fruit-based Um, 100% plant-based diet to treat um, type one diabetes. And the idea is that aside from the fact that, you know, processed food is just dreadful for you, it's the um, presence of saturated fat um, and that combination of saturated fat and and sugars, let alone, you know, something like a tweaky where you've got like, you know, high fructose corn syrup and trans fat and saturated fat and carbs, right? And it's like just the worst possible thing you could eat. I, I'm just curious if, if you can help spell out, what, what is your science or, or I should say your data, or what does the science tell us about? Like, what, what are the, the things that we should eat more to keep that level, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that nice even curve. Um, and what are the things that are like just particularly, I mean, again, aside from Twinkies, but like yeah. big categories, Any, anything you can speak to that we can practically use when we're at the supermarket next week?
3: Sure. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've started, we've talked about a lot about the stuff we shouldn't eat. So maybe I'll just finish that stuff off first. Yeah. Right? Refined carbs are not good for you. Processed meats <laughs> in general, right? Things that are super high in saturated fats um, and particularly processed foods because they haven't been a part of our diet, right? You get lots of calories quickly and that's not great for you. Um, high fructose, corn syrup, stuff like that. I think in general, the stuff that's good, I, you know, it, it's mostly just food, like, like actual fruit, vegetables. I try, I mean, personally, I try to eat more vegetables than fruit, but I don't think, you know, I, I, th- I think there's a pretty good consensus that fruit by itself is mostly okay. Even if it's got fructose in it, there's a, a fair amount of, um, you know, you've got fiber. You've got other things in there that that help reduce the amount that gets re- absorbed in the gut. Um, so fruits and I, I don't think you can eat too many uh, fruits and vegetables. Um, trying to make sure you get enough micronutrients and vitamin D is good. I think um, carbs are okay as long as they're not refined. And I think um, the the way that I t- tend to think about it is. It, it also matters the order in which that you eat things. So if you're going to eat like potatoes or sweet potatoes or something like that, start with a little bit of protein or start with a little bit of fat before that, because that will get into the liver first and it will blunt that spike. So um, uh, another, thing, another nice uh, easy tip is for some people, um, having vinegar can help. Um, so balsamic vinegar is the classic one, apple cider vinegar can help with a glucose spike um, but it's being thoughtful both, I think, first of all, if you just have real food, right, stuff that was grown on trees or in the ground, that's a great starting point. Um, if you then think about for the, those, the foods like potatoes and sweet potatoes that are high in carbs, if you match them with things that are high in protein like nuts or um, for breakfast, sometimes people will eat uh, chia seed pudding or things like that, um, if they're going to have granola or if they're going to have a a croissant or something. Um, and, um, and then on the, for fats, I mean, I tend to not do too much dairy, but, um, you know, certainly olive oils, um, non-seed oils ideally uh, are great. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, most cooking oils are, are okay. Um, it's, it's really just about moderation more than anything else.
2: Yeah um moderation so hard uh <laughs> as we um but no i certainly like you know it's um i'm trying not to open up big topics because i really uh would love to have you back on and we'll just go straight into the the cultural the behavioral and the broken medical system because there's just so much there right and, totally. and at the end of the day the, the most cost effective, like literally cheapest on an order of magnitude that, you know, can't even be contemplated when you're talking about, you know, like we we spoke uh, a $500,000 open heart surgery, not to mention, you know, all, all of the, the drugs and visits and everything else that happened around that sometimes for 40 years, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, but just eat fruit that grows or food that grows on trees or, or in the ground. And like a lot of that would never happen. Right. Like it's just, yeah. it's, it's difficult to compare these two different scenarios in terms of, of cost to to say nothing of human suffering. Right. Um. <laughs> so, so I'd love, I'd love to get into, to that, um, a little deeper with you one day, but um, as we wrap up our time today, um I, I guess I ask you, aside from eat real food that grew in the ground or on trees, um, if you had one message to folks, you know, you could put it on a billboard and millions of people would see it or hundreds of thousands in this case. yeah. Um, what what's the one thing that we should remember from this conversation?
3: Um, gosh, that's a tough one. It's I think, you know if if I had to boil down, let's talk about health behaviors, I guess. if I had to boil down, health behaviors it would be you know give your metabolism a rest right so so don't eat for 13 to 16 hours if you can um eat real food that grows on the ground and make sure you sleep when you're tired if you're tired go to bed (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty much Uh, it
2: i'm uh yeah i'm doing really well on two of those things Um, i'm gonna have to work on the sleep but uh, um, and, um, and actually,
3: sorry, there's one more I have to add. And that okay. is, you know, it, when I've looked at the studies, actually the single biggest thing that determines your health over time, like your health span is exercise, just getting out there. And it doesn't have to be fast, right? It can be zone two. You can go for a walk and go for a slow run for people who like to do gym training. That's great too. just do something, right? Move. Yeah. Yeah. So eat, eat food. You mind if I workshop this for one second? Let me see. Yeah, I yeah, no, let's do it. I was, I was about to try to say that, right? Awesome. Go ahead, please. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's you know, eat food that grows on plants or, you know, from the ground. Um, give your metabolism a break. If you're tired, go to bed. And most importantly, just move.
2: Right, right. Well, even better, right? Um, eat food, sometimes yep. don't. Right? Yeah. Uh, sleep and move. Yeah. I mean, you can't really, you know, I'm I'm fairly certain every human can do those things, right? It's almost yeah. innate. Um, <laughs> eat, don't <laughs> eat, move, sleep, um, right. And you've got yourself uh, quite. Um, we have some partners that their their brand name is Eat, Move, Rest, and it's like they're on to yeah. something, right? Yeah, they're just missing the don't eat for for an intentional period of time, but. Um, I like it. I like it. We're going to do something with that. But um, Taylor, thank you so much for trying to take these these uh, complicated concepts and make them a little bit more uh, intuitive for us, or at least a little bit understandable for for the layman. And uh, thank you for following me on this um, meandering path through history, culture, you know, medical systems, and and down to cellular biology. So I really yeah, appreciate no, this was really today. Fun.
3: Thank you. No, I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks for having me.